0: Hi, this is Dan Mendes from NextGen Venture Partners coming off of a great conversation with Lizzie Francis and Kara Weber. Uh, Kara and Lizzie are both venture partners with NextGen. They are both uh, experienced uh, marketing executives and entrepreneurs with with really quite extraordinary resumes. And they've recently started a venture capital firm called Brilliant Ventures that invests in uh, companies driving the future of commerce. Uh, Kara and Lizzie also focus on investing in uh, diverse teams. Uh, And we spend much of the conversation talking about diversity and inclusion in uh, entrepreneurship and early-stage financing of startups, uh, and and really uh, uh, talking about it uh, in a somewhat negative light. Uh, Kara and Lizzie are damning of the current state of affairs, um, and I think they have a lot of very important points. I think this is a a critical conversation uh, that needs to happen more, Uh, and without further ado, here is that conversation. Kara Weber, Lizzie Francis, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to participate in this exciting new podcast, Dan.
0: I'd love to start with each of your backgrounds. Uh, Lizzie, maybe um, we we could begin with you and sort of uh, tell us about your career prior to Brilliant Ventures.
1: Yeah, so uh,
2: Kara and I are both actually serial entrepreneur and operators, and prior to Brilliant Ventures, which we launched last year in 2016... I really focused primarily in marketing roles at companies in the direct-to-consumer space. So I was most recently chief marketing officer of Gilt Group in New York City, and prior to that, one of the founding partners of a company called Intelligent Beauty, which incubated companies in the direct-to-consumer space in fashion, beauty, and CPGs. So we launched brands uh, you've probably heard of called Textile, Fabletics, Just Fab, a company called Durham Store, which we ended up selling to Target, and so my career really has been ninety-nine point nine percent based in digital and tech, and now happily have jumped to the other side of the table.
0: Awesome, Kara. How about you?
1: Yes, so I am like Lizzie, a serial entrepreneur, operator, and marketer, but I've done it from the other side of the marketing fence, which is to say. Uh, Most of my operating roles, um, the bulk of my career, was in CMO level roles for enterprise-facing businesses. So um, really thinking about brand and and messaging, not to consumers, but to um, other companies. So I have launched, started, managed uh, seven different companies since 1995, all in internet technology. Um, four of those companies have had significant exits and um, really enjoy now being able to take that that experience uh, and expertise and, and sort of translate it and hopefully activate it in a new way uh, via portfolio companies.
0: And Lizzie, why don't you uh, give us the quick overview of Brilliant Ventures?
2: I would love to. So we're an investment firm that really focuses in seed stage companies that are already in market. And our thesis is really based around the transformation and future of commerce, both brands uh, that are focused on this in terms of direct-to-consumer, but also on the back end in terms of technology that enables commerce to really flourish and grow in this technolo- te- technology and digital age. That sounded very Atari-ish the yes, way I just it said is. it, in <laughs> this technology age. <laughs> you, do you know about the digital age? Today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we really focus on, on three different areas when it comes to those types of companies. It's the products, it's the process, and the people. And all three of those things matter, again, through this lens of transforming commerce. So products in terms of, you know, how, how are the products innovative? Are they serving underserved markets, large transformational markets? Uh, are they innovating on a process? In, in rethinking uh, old processes or, or old modes in entirely new ways and, and making them, um, getting them up to date, I should say, for the digital era. And people, which is really the beautiful part of seed stage investing. Karen and I, given our backgrounds in, as operators and entrepreneurs, really do believe that so much of this is about the character and the will and the talent of the founding team uh, who has a vision. And so we really take that to heart when it comes to investing at the seed stage.
0: Kara, uh, give us the history of Brilliant Ventures. How did you come together? How did you forge this investment thesis? You know, a little bit of the uh, of the background before it became so as polished as Lizzie just put it.
1: Yeah. Well, did you hear that? I was yeah. Polished. Yes, polished. Quite she polished. Is, Lizzie, <laughs> Lizzie is the polish in the partnership. So that I'm glad that you read that so accurately. Um, this is actually a new firm many many years in the making um so like the the starlet who's an overnight you know an overnight success 20 years in the making lizzie and i have been friends for nearly 17 years and really became close because we moved to los angeles at around the same time which was immediately after the internet the dot bomb situation uh the the first the the first one the first one um at after the turn of the millennium, um, so we became friends on a personal level very early in that time, but quickly our relationship shifted into a professional, you know, sort of partnership, uh, advisory, mentorship, coaching, teamwork, effort. As we a were the only two people in LA working at internet companies, it felt like at the time in our certainly in our worlds, and b they were very small companies, one person each. And B, uh, we were both in marketing roles. So we were able to, even though we were marketing different kinds of audiences, we understood the unique experiences of the marketing leader in a growth stage company, which is not always the most wonderful set of experiences, but is always very dynamic and very fast paced and, and all those other things. So long way of saying we've been working on Working together indirectly for for most of those 17 years, about 10 years ago at this point almost, uh, we started talking about how do we how do we work together? Uh, and it's not going to be as CMOs because you know no few let's say few companies need multiple CMOs. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to what what's our shift? How do we drive towards a future where we actually get to partner and build a business? And we debated the idea of starting a company together and realized that where we really felt like we could add the most value and deliver the most value, both in terms of companies and the outcomes, was in via investing and being very active investors. So it's a a very long answer to your question is long time personal friendship evolved professionally and ultimately we decided to take the leap and, and partner together.
0: And so you're focused on the future of commerce. Um, Lizzie, the, uh, back to you here. Um, what does that world look like um, five years from now, 10 years from now, as you think about your investment time frame? Uh, how does commerce, e-commerce, um, how we purchase things uh, you know, going to differ um, uh, over that t- period of time?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I'm going to let Kara also jump in as part of this because this could take quite a bit of time. But if I think about it through the lens of the companies that we've invested in to date, um, a lot of it is about, on the B2B side, it's about creating tools and processes that allow people to more rapidly innovate, but also keep their cost structures quite lean. So let me give you um, a great example. You know, I, I mean, I guess. At the highest level, businesses are always looking for efficient ways to scale and grow and um, execute that don't just require lots of people being thrown at the problem, right? And that, and that's the beauty of data and technology in terms of um, the the richness it can bring to um, business. So, for instance, on the on the B two B side, in our perspective, we see there continuing to be a lot of innovation um, from a SaaS perspective around giving businesses and brands the tools that they need um, to be better at business so they can focus on how to differentiate their brands in the marketplace. You know, one of the beautiful things about digital is that it's created a much larger marketplace for consumers to choose from. Um, One of the downsides of that is that brand becomes harder and more fleeting to own. And so by leveraging SaaS solutions, uh, we believe that that gives company is the ability to really focus on how do they engender loyalty from their customer, whether or not they're corporate or or consumer, individual consumers um, in the long run. And I think we're going to continue to see these really double digit growth numbers in terms of, you know, companies and brands that are born of the internet. I mean, it sounds, I'm sure old fashioned and not that innovative, but there's still so many industries that are not at scale at all when it comes to digital. One of our favorite companies that we've invested in to date is Tamara Mellon. And Tamara is the former founder of Jimmy Choo, uh, who's built you know, a very successful business over her career in the luxury fashion footwear space, um, has took that company public and then private, and again, just recently sold again at a $3 billion valuation. She launched a direct-to-consumer luxury footwear business uh, about a year and a half ago, just really pivoted and, and went into the direct-to-consumer space. And she's really the first to do this, have a brand born from a luxury pedigree online uh, for that consumer who might never have previously thought, you know, I could buy really expensive, beautiful footwear only online. And I don't need to go to a, a large multi-brand retailer or go into a physical store. And that's a, that wholesale model has really been broken. So we continue to th- see that there will be progress in this space over the next five years, both in terms of the, the back-end um, functional and operational efficiency and ability to scale more quickly, businesses that disrupt old forms of inventory control and management, um, and also brands born of the internet in the digital space. And, okay. and lastly, it, Dan, very last thing to interrupt is really the, the common denominator between the two of those, we continue to see this being an area of growth is data. And so companies that are leveraging you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence as a way of accelerating that, um, regardless of whether or not they're direct to consumer or they're SaaS, um, these will continue to, these will be the companies that have a competitive edge and we'll see a lot of scale in the next few years.
0: Part of your uh, mandate is also investing in diverse teams. Uh, Kara, I'm wondering if you could flesh that out.
1: Absolutely. We invest in, we we say in our thesis, in describing it to LPs, that we have a strong and conscious bias towards brilliant, diverse leadership teams. And we like that for a number of reasons. We like it first and foremost because it feels to us, it feels very good and it feels like the right thing to do but the reality is when you're running an investment firm you can't you have you have concerns beyond what feels good to you you have a significant uh, fiduciary and moral obligation to your investors we truly believe that investing in teams that em- embrace and represent diversity of experience mindset approach those are the businesses most likely to succeed we look at that first really realistically we're two women running an investment firm um, based on that alone we get a tremendous amount of deal flow from female founders but the reality is that we've worked hard to build unique and differentiated deal flow from all sorts of you know diversity uh, across uh, you know, Essentially, not just you know we're not just investing in in straight white men, and that alone does unfortunately still prove to be a significant differentiator for us as a firm. But again, this doesn't come down to a the fact that we don't like straight white men, Dan. We like them a lot. We're married. To, we're each married. Good. To, you know? Good to we're hear. I, I speak
0: on behalf of my we're, class. That's 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 it's that's, appreciated. That's
1: right. we're, And we're each mothers uh, to we can't speak for the straight yet, they're too young, but 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 uh, tiny, teeny, tiny white men. Um, (laughs) But we really think there's an opportunity to create optimal returns for investors by investing in diversity. And so it's a lovely scenario where it feels it, it is very meaningful. And Lizzie and I are both very values and purpose driven. So it you know, it satisfies that requirement that we have and how we spend our time every day while simultaneously leading us to a lot of you know undiscovered or undercapitalized gems in the rough. So we feel tremendously lucky that our you know we're we're getting access to fantastic deals that that are that most early stage seed funds. Might see you know twenty third hand, and we're getting very getting in very early. So we think it's a it's an advantage in multiple fronts.
0: And uh, why do you think they are uh, coming to you first, or 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 coming to you instead of uh, the traditional venture funds? Um, what is either you know incredibly attractive about what you're doing, or or potentially unattractive about uh, what funds that don't have that focus on diversity are doing?
1: That's a great question.
0: I'm and and happy- over, over, over to, over to Lizzie, since Gary oh, did the listen. last one.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Dan. I was like, Dan, who do you want? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, um, Dan, our tagline is beyond capital for brilliant entrepreneurs. And I think it really sums up a lot of what Kara just talked about in terms of it really, and, and but what I was saying earlier, it is so much at seen investing about people. And for us, one of the advantages we found, um, and we we say it to lots of entrepreneurs that we meet, which is, you know, we're not not all money is green and we are really above and beyond capital here to bring our, our decades of expertise to the table. And we've now made it through three, three tough digital down cycles uh, and made it through that with bruises, bumps and a lot of learnings and want to be there to help entrepreneurs through what is you know, the birth of a child and then the growing of that child, their business over time. Um, so we really take to heart the idea that we can bring much more than just capital to these really brilliant and diverse groups of people who are are giving birth to their businesses. And I think, too, being a firm run by women to female partners has given us an advantage when it comes to deal flow. So word of mouth has been quite um, helpful for us. Um, and uh, it, I think that as we have started to invest in people who feel you know this this thesis and this criteria that we have um the power referral has been strong there are not that many of us you know the statistics are still really tough in terms of venture capital and PE. you know less than four percent of all venture funds have have at least one female partner right so then you have a fund like ours where the team managing partners are female it really does make a difference and the The feedback we overwhelmingly get from entrepreneurs who come and sit across the table from us, pitch their companies, we may or may not invest is, first and foremost, it's awesome to talk to someone who's a former operator. You get what I'm going through. You have fantastic experience. And secondly, the other one is, it is so great to talk to someone who understands my perspective as a woman as well, or as someone who even is going to take the time to return my phone call, really think about my business. Even if you're not investing, we've gotten thank yous from everyone we've talked to. You're saying, who said people had told us that you would be great to talk to, and and they were right. And I think that um, this, as more women um, and others start to launch firms this will change. And there's much work to be done. The numbers are, are really still quite grim uh, in terms of where investment dollars are going, particularly to people of color. They're abysmal. It's less than 0% of all venture dollars at the seed stage. Um, so 0.2%, excuse me. So um, it's really, there's, there's so much work to be done here and so much opportunity. And, and we're just excited that in the last year and a half, we've been able to see that that tide is, is shifting and changing a
0: bit. Kara, um, so Lizzie sort of uh, talked a little bit about kind of the, the state of the union uh, for, uh, for diversity in tech entrepreneurship. I'm wondering if you could, um, you know, build on that. Where do you see things today? And I, I think if I remember Lizzie used the word abysmal, um, you know, is it, are there glimmers of hope or um, is, is it sort of abysmal up and down?
1: Listen, there are, there are two worlds out there for entrepreneurs. There's the world of the entrepreneur who is uh, not a first-time founder, who is likely a man, most likely a white man, who has a great idea, throws together some slides, goes out and raises, you know, even in this era of seed funding being dependent on product and revenue, uh, still, before he has either of those things, goes out and very quickly raises, um, really, you know, in the sort of old-fashioned way of, you know, through his connections, through his network, um, and, and based on a very strong idea. That that is one of the worlds that is out there, and it's out there in, in, you know, for companies and for and for venture as well, uh, and and probably for PE and and other kinds of funds as well. Then there's the world. Um, and there's probably multiple worlds here, but I'm going to talk about the, the the extraordinary difference between two of them. The other world is a company started by a woman, or a black man, or a, a you know a, a, a Latina technologist. Their efforts in are, are have nothing almost there's so many hoops they have to go through before they even get to share their idea to establish credibility and investability because they do not fit that famous word in venture investing they don't fit the patterns that traditional VCs understand and you know there's a there's a fantastic entrepreneur here in LA named Sean Green he has a company called Arternal which is not we're not investors it's not you know what they're doing doesn't fit within our thesis but you know, I think Sean is incredible. He's he's African American, uh, building a SaaS business in the art space, and you know, when he told me he raised half a million dollars, I almost fell over because I was like, "Man, you worked." He's like, "I worked for every dollar of that," and I just think that's the core difference. The core difference is the amount of time and effort that. You know women and and people of color and lgbtq etc founders who do not fit the traditional pattern have to spend so much more time on fundraising and that's you know that's a core difference And, and sometimes i think this gets a little bit to your last question they'll come to lizzie and i or they'll come to the person of color in a venture fund or you know, whatever, another fund, because that they hope that that might skip a couple of those steps. They might have a little more credibility to get in through the door, but that, you know, when you're relying on meeting with the, the, you know, female led fund or the black guy at the firm, like there aren't a ton of us to meet with. So it just, it just shrinks the, uh, overall opportunity, which, and that is abysmal.
0: Lizzie, I, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about this pattern matching point that Kara made. Uh, so in adventure, it's common, traditional uh, for, you know folks like me to say that a lot of what we do is pattern matching. It's hey, we've seen, Thousands of entrepreneurs over the years. We've seen some of them succeed. We've seen many of them fail. Uh, and there's certain elements that stand out. And you know, and it could be, uh, you know, determination. It could be, you know, uh, industry expertise. It could be a particular kind of business model where you've, see, you've seen certain things succeed, certain things not succeed. Um, You've heard of, uh, and 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 we like to think of that as a good thing. Um, I would say m- most people in the field, you know, would say, what, you know, we apply that, you know, in, a, in an objective way. When we think about pattern pattern recognition, it's not you know black versus white or male versus female, um, but maybe we're wrong about that. You know um, maybe it's it's an unconscious bias. Maybe it's more than than unconscious. I guess so, Lizzie. I guess the question is, to what degree, if any, is pattern matching a real thing and a good thing, and to, versus to what degree is it you know just leading to you know gender and racial discrimination.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, and there's a lot of nuances there. But I will say that pattern recognition is helpful
0: in a couple different
2: ways. I mean, obviously, from a business model perspective at the highest level, sort of what sector, area, business models, just having time and experience. Um, you know, everyone who, who gives birth to an idea thinks their idea is the first idea in that space. Um, but it's really our, our responsibility as investors to say, well, actually, we've studied the trends, we've seen this before, we understand what the real size and opportunity is, right? Everyone thinks that their idea um, is, is sellable to the whole world and there's a massive market, but, but you know, that's where we bring our particular filters to the table as investors and, and hopefully our decades of expertise around understanding how the markets have moved and, and where we see um, the markets shifting and it's about timing and recognition. So I think from a business model perspective, that's hopefully where our own just just level of experience is helpful and it where it matters. And I think that's invaluable in venture capitalists. I mean, venture capitalists are the best generalists in the world, right? In theory, we are researchers and believers and reviewers of of lots of different things in our particular theses or spaces. Um, but it's also why some venture firms have very narrow theses. And and Karen and I spent quite a bit of time around our thesis and our filters, which is the second point I'm gonna make to what we believe makes for great businesses and great returns. And a lot of that is really about people. And this is where I do think it's broken. You know, people tend to refer people from their spaces, right? So we get tons of referrals from our own networks. Um, And unless you spend time building networks outside of what I'll call your own echo chamber or your like-likes, it's hard to actually have access to people who are coming up with great ideas outside of those small areas. So Karen and I have a real, real, really consciously decided uh, early on that we needed to spend just as much time spreading and amplifying our network abilities so that we could see more and diverse types of deals that we would otherwise have lost in our own little VC echo chamber, right? And, and even down to uh, you know, the physical location of where we live. I do think, at the end of the day, there is one thing we believe in, though, um, and, and that's worked. I, we see an unbelievable amount of, of diverse talent who come to us that, quite frankly, we often introduce to larger firms, um, and have seen that that we're bringing sort of first, first and new diverse opportunities to other firms um, that have not, you know, maybe made this a mandate and and really tried for that. I do think there's this underlying quality, though, and we, we've talked about it quite a bit over the last two years that we feel is important regardless and it gets back to that people point i was making which is we we really are investing in people at the seed stage we believe that resilience and grit as a quality um is critically important for people who are going to succeed. This is why we also believe in, and love to invest in people that we've worked with for years. You know, if we're investing in someone who's on their third company and we know that they have this quality of, of resilience and grit that they bring to the table, we know they're the person who's gonna weather the up and down really well. Likewise, if you're a first-time entrepreneur and you've come to us and, you know, man, you have just been put through the ringer just for because of biases that are unconscious. That you can't even fight. And as two women who, who have been in this game for twenty years, trust us, we've we have felt those ourselves. Um, you've got resilience in you. And we like that because a business is never predictable. It is always going to be low when you hope it's high and high when you least expect it. And if you don't have that quality of resilience and grit and aren't values driven that way, you going to, you're going to you're gonna have a tough time making it. And so that's so important, we think, at this stage, at least in terms of making generalizations around patterns and people and the people
0: we like to invest in. Lizzie Francis, Carol Weber, thanks so much for spending time with me today.
1: Thank Thank you, you, Dan. Dan.